It's that time of week. It's Auto Catch Up where we cover the latest news here in Australia and around the world and, um, yeah, talk about it and uh, give you the rundown so you're up to speed. I'm Ash Perkins and um, it's just me this week. Uh, Joel unfortunately can't make it. He's got some uh, some overdue work to get through, so um, we'll, we'll see him next week. But, uh, look, it's been a pretty busy week uh, of news and... Um, yeah, not wanting to, to skip on that, we'll keep you up to date. Um, but this week, I've been driving the, the Hyundai Palisade Highlander. Um, this one is the diesel spec in the seven seats. So to give you a rundown on that, that's Hyundai's big SUV um, straight from from the US. And man, I've got to say, it's got some presence on road. So if you think of the um, traditional Cadillac Escalade FBI spec um, SUVs that you see in, in Hollywood films. It pretty much gives that kind of vibe. That's the one that we've been driving this week. It's all black with the dark tinted windows and it looks kind of cool. And um, on the inside, so the seven seat is kind of unique and separates it between that the eight seat spec, which is also available. So the seven seat means that there's only two seats in that second row um, and each of those seats are captain's chairs and you do have a little bit of a walkway in between to get access to those rear three seats. Um, this is a great spec if you're mainly carrying, um, you know, a couple of people, and you're not pushing to to maximise the absolute usage of the seats. And more of you want the you want the space, you want the comfort um, that such a large SUV affords you. Um, it's yeah, it's it's priced pretty well. Um, so it starts off at about that um, sixty five thousand dollar range before your on roads, and then stepping up into the Highlander. So there's two specs. That's starting from about seventy seven thousand dollars. So it's not too badly priced. And what's funny is in terms of fuel economy. So in the diesel, it's a it's a two point two liter diesel. It's not the most powerful thing in the world. So you, you really are only getting about eighty percent of the power of which I think you, you, you kind of want from a car like this, that 20% that feels like it's missing is really in those extra use cases where you're wanting to make an, a pass on the highway or um, accelerate quickly from, from the lights for, for whatever reason. But in your general day-to-day goings, that 80, you know, that level of power that's available is certainly going to be um, totally, totally acceptable. So the diesel compared to the the 3.8 litre petrol does give you a couple of different differences. So the main one being all-wheel drive. That is probably the the largest differentiator between the two. Not much really else in between, just of how that power is getting to you is really the the key differences. But in the Highlander, which we've been driving, so we've got... Captain seats in the second row, 20-inch alloy wheels, Napa leather appointed seats, which are just absolutely fantastic. We had a black and red combination, which was really nice. The head-up display, wireless phone charging, which is a great addition. There's tons of storage available because it is such a large SUV. The frustrating part, though, is it, it has wireless charging, but it doesn't have wireless CarPlay or wireless Android Auto. So... Whilst you've got this perfect little slot to that accepts a wide range of different phones, it's, it's Qi wireless charging, and it's plenty big enough for all sorts of different sizes of phones, which is great. But you still need to plug in the cable to 
utilize CarPlay, which or Android Auto, which is a really big disappointment. And it's kind of when stepping back into the i30, which I've been driving the last couple of weeks, the ones which did have wireless car charging had wireless CarPlay. And it just made perfect sense. It just is exactly what you need where you jump in the car, slot the phone into the little holder and off you go. There's no cables or anything needed. With this, the the wireless charging really becomes a feature available for, for your passenger if they need to charge their phone and you don't have a, a second cable. Um, there's certainly, if they do have a cable, there's certainly no shortage of USB ports. Uh, you have, um, in, in, in for the second row, you've got a number of USB ports, two even built into one in the driver and one in the passenger seat, as well as um, they're spread, basically spread out throughout the entire, entire place. Uh, you do have rear door window sunshades, rear privacy glass, a smart power tailgate, a huge um, glass sunroof, as well as like a a moon moon roof in the back. So sunroof in the front, moonroof in the back, which is kind of nice. Heated and ventilated front seats, heated and... um, air ventilated rear uh, second second row seats as well which is super handy um, and also builds into that thing of where this seven seat option in particular is great for um, if you're if you're carrying passengers say operating an uber or a, a private transport vehicle or anything like that um, there's 14 cup holders, so even in a seven seat, there's basically two for for everybody. In the eight seat, you do have 16, um, and then yeah, the usual, the rest of it is basically what you'd expect from um, a, a modern modern Hyundai anyway. So yeah, it, it, it drives really well. You can tell that it's been tuned for our roads. It's it's not too smooth or spongy, nor is it too hard. It just fits into that Goldilocks zone for for our roads, which, you know, seems to to be good enough. And on the highway, it certainly is something that you can settle in and really get comfortable and also enjoy the the good sound system that's packed in there too. Uh, Wonderful, big central infotainment screen and yeah there's there's plenty of seat configuration options and uh all of them are extremely easy to operate from whether it's the back um through the rear access or through the the second row doors so yeah it's it's certainly one if you're looking for a large suv add it to the list uh it, it just it it packs all of the modern features that you really, and particularly if you're not going off-road, that's obviously a key differentiator here. But if you're looking at um, even the, the Land Cruiser or Nissan Patrol, in addition to some of the other larger SUVs, this brings a lot of the technology and a lot of the comfort features that you lack from those because they're slightly older in their, in their product life cycle. So if that's important to you, as well as the extra, you know, the, the, the great uh, servicing and um, warranty that Hyundai bring, keep it on your radar and, and um, go check it out. There's certainly It certainly does get some good looks um, from people passing by on the road. But yeah, it's, a, it's certainly one to, to pop down and at least... Uh, have a visit and uh, have a drive if you're in the market. But having a look now, so there's been a few major news items that's come through. Not as not as hectic as last week, but the first one is following the launch of the Porsche Taycan last week here in Australia, we have now had the Porsche Taycan Cross Turismo revealed. Um, one that we've kind of know has been coming for a long time now. And it's 
the closest thing that you're going to get to a SUV Porsche in electric form until the next generation Macan, which we expect to have an, an electric version to to choose from and um, it takes all the things that we love about the electric Taycan and puts them in a slightly raised a little bit more practical um, shape and yeah just makes it that that all-round all-weather versatility crossover um, but with a Porsche badge on there too so there's a a number of different models available of course it it has a lot of the same technology come across from the Taycan so it's got the 800 volt electric system twin electric motors providing all-wheel drive and in Australia we'll get two variants being offered with the 4S and the turbo so that uses both of those use the 93.4 kilowatt performance battery as standard which means your output is about 360 kilowatts in the 4s or 420 kilowatts um, during your launch control and um, you can get 0 to 100 in 4.1 seconds so range that's probably the the next thing is rated in the 4s between 388 and 452 kilometers so it's certainly not the longest range that you can uh, get your hands on in electric vehicle today but it's certainly not terrible it's going to suit most people day to day and then if you step up to the turbo you get more power 460 kilowatts or 500 kilowatts during your launch control and then in that particular model you shave even more off your acceleration down 3.3 seconds and your top speed is added to 250 kilometers and the range remains pretty similar 395 to 452 um but yeah it's uh it's something that's going to be very exciting and in terms of pricing uh the 4S Cross Turismo is going to be 201000 uh, plus your on-roads and your Taycan Turbo Cross Turismo is 271000 and they are available to order now with, deliver- with deliveries set to-, to start from the third quarter of this year. So that's pretty exciting and I can't wait to see more or see these on the road at all. And um, yeah, if you if you jump onto the link in our show notes, you're going to love the photos that they've included. It's just, um, it, it kind of ticks a lot of boxes, which, you know, I think what the, the Panamera sort of brought along, but just takes it that little bit further in there. Um, down, you know, takes it all the way to 10. And, and really what we see with people playing around with even like the Audi all-road quattros and, and things like that. But moving on, so MG, uh, not only have they, have they cracked the top 10 brands for uh, last month, so the first time they're becoming a top 10 brand in Australia, but they've also just announced what we spoke about last week is their plug-in hybrid MGHS. Uh, so this joins the uh, 2021 HS range, which has been updated. So it also brings some new all-wheel drive variants, but this is the first time um, MG have included a plug-in hybrid or what we call like a FEV. And um, it does add, it gives a nice boost to power as well. So we give a combined output of 209 kilowatts and 480 newton meters of torque. And so it makes it one of the most powerful SUVs in its class, um, which is pretty funny coming from, you know, what most of us would probably think of um, when reading comments on articles around the internet that, it, it perhaps it's it's cracked the top ten, but it still hasn't won over car enthusiasts yet. But zero to one hundred six point nine seconds, and um, yeah, fuel com- fuel consumption one point seven liters per one hundred, and yeah, so it's a 
certainly a, a decent offering which they've got it's priced from 45,990 um, excluding on roads or as MG have included here 46,990 drive away uh, it includes a five year unlimited kilometer vehicle warranty and an eight year 160,000 kilometer battery warranty uh, you can go through a number of different driving modes so you can mix, mix, mix and match exactly what you're wanting and uh, it has all your usual features what we spoke about not too long ago um, with your infotainment uh, and everything like that. So dual zone climate control, auto LED headlights and ta- LED taillights, heated front seats, panoramic glass roof. Um, yeah, so um, I can't see... Oh, there we go. Uh, so it's got a full... Ch- so if you have a full battery, you can get about 52 kilometers just on power alone, uh, which certainly makes it better than some other vehicles in that FEV class. Um, not only even like the FEV Outlander doesn't get quite that that range we're getting about 40 kilometers out of that so it's still it's pretty impressive what they're able to squeeze out of it and um hopefully we'll be able to get our hands on that one soon to sort of give you our hands-on experience with that but yeah it's it's pretty you know it's it's pretty impressive for mg who haven't really been in the market for a a long time with their with their relaunch if you could call that um but year to date, MG have sold five thousand or nearly five and a half thousand cars this year, which is enough to sort of overtake Honda, becoming a top top ten brand for the year. Half of those sales, well, more than half, sorry, came in February, making um, yeah they jumped up to eight spot ahead of Volkswagen and Subaru for the month of February, which um, if you if you keep things in mind for Volkswagen you know that's that's pretty impressive that's certainly um, when they've got a limited model range as well uh, it's certainly found a way to you know uh, really break through into the market and it's certainly seeing that on the roads where there's a lot of MGs on the road everywhere you go and um, in our experience it comes so close in a lot of areas that it's really surprising that the the general impression from Chinese brands they've really broken away from the mold and this is something where they're, they're fields ahead of any of the other car makers which they were at at this same point when they were joining the the joining the market here in Australia so yeah they've come a long way they're offering us really strong warranty as well which is probably providing a lot of reassurance to to people coming and looking at an MG if if it's a bit of an unknown they go well at least it's got a lot of warranty and um, it's certainly one of those things that I know when talking to people here that that has been an important part but yeah so it's uh, it's going to be interesting it's going to be see how the fev once it joins it, it's it's funnily enough uh priced around just slightly more expensive than the the EV ZS um, slightly different sized vehicle but it's um, I wonder if people are coming in looking for that if uh, if jumping to an, an electric vehicle or a plug-in hybrid is gonna where that preference will lie so an interesting following on from the VFAX that came out just recently um, cars guide has a great article where there's go we know that the LC 300 um, or the 300 series is coming from Toyota. But the question is, is that who's going to be left to buy it? Um, so noting the uh, sales figures for the month of February, 
just in February alone, 1,300 series Land Cruisers were sold, up 16% from the month before, and a huge, you know, 50% year to date. So this year alone, if this, if that sale trajectory remains, they're going to sell about 15,200 series Land Cruisers, which is pretty amazing given that it is at, a, at the end of a very long um, life cycle. But there's a lot of people who are wanting this V8 diesel and they're not really that excited by the rumors that it's going to be a, a, a six-cylinder six cylinder diesel. Now, the interesting thing that probably has me a bit more excited about the 300 series is that this this diesel has the potential to also have a hybrid system connected to that. And Toyota have really spent their time honing and improving that hybrid system. And we all know the benefits of having a, an electric motor in there it fills in that torque that's that, that's missing and particularly in a diesel that if it's got so much torque down there already add an electric motor what performance what um what fuel economy are you going to be able to achieve compared to the outgoing 200 series now there's a lot of people who also say well look you know this is this is known it's easy to get parts if you're going to remote parts of australia and i think that's absolutely justified but i do wonder how many people are actually really doing that? I know it's a large there there is a large passionate group of those, but the you know, thirteen hundred, two hundred series, where are they going right now? What are people doing? Are they hooking up a trailer and, and, and going up the east coast or you know that's something where I wouldn't be as concerned because there's a huge range of Toyota dealers along the way if you do have a problem. Um, if you're going to the central parts of Australia, yeah, sure. I absolutely understand that that point. And adding a hybrid system does add complexity. And um, But if you're a general person wanting a car to hook a caravan on and go up and down the East Coast, that's where I think the, the hybrid, if there is a hybrid coming, that's where the advantage can be. Uh, but I do find it interesting that... Um, yeah, it's just it's still mind-boggling that it's still selling at such the rate it is, and um, and I wonder how soon, how eager Toyota are to to introduce the updated Land Cruiser. So, well, that will be remain to seen to be seen. Volvo now they're expanding their SUV portfolio at the expense of sedans and wagons. Now, unfortunately, Volvo makes some of the best sedan, the best looking sedans and wagons available at the moment. Um, they're, you know, that man, the the S60, the V60, just are so good. Um, there's a few around. Uh, in the inner city part where I frequently catch up with some friends and I just always get so much joy when looking at them because they just look so good and I'm so glad that people are out there buying it. But Volvo has to obviously consolidate some of its range of body styles um, to produce more SUVs simply because that is where the demand is and um, as, a, as a company, they need to refocus their investment dollars and um, if, the, if the sales figures are going that way, that obviously makes a lot of sense, particularly with the, the recently announced plans to go completely EV by 2030. Um, this is kind of references back to that start of that change with the C40 recharge, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but this is part of that reinvigorated and, and refocused 
approach that we're seeing from a lot of brands as they transition to fully electric. And um, I, uh, if, if you're a lover of these Volvo van, uh, sedans and wagons, I'd maybe jump out and grab one uh, whilst you can because it's going to be a sad day when they go away. Now, I will mention uh, this, but I would love to hold on to this article until when Joel gets back next week. Um, but the Mitsubishi Express van has scored a zero at the latest ANCAP ratings uh, announcement, and um, it scored zero, which is pretty concerning. Um, it's a bit bit unfortunate, and um, Mitsubishi have come back and uh, sort of vehemently disagreed with that uh, result. And, um, yeah, so this is a very interesting thing because with ANCAP, and we've spoken spoken about this before, where there's a number of different factors. Now, it's not just how the vehicle handles a crash, but it's also the systems, the safety systems, passive and active, that are included in the vehicle that influence that ANCAP rating. Now, I'm not saying that that justifies a zero or it doesn't, it's not, perfect to defend a zero we've certainly discussed it a lot when the mustang received two stars when the Jimny received two stars but it is something that in a commercial vehicle it is a slightly different game even for a lot of uh dual cab buttes historically it was a problem when uh bull bars were added because that actually impacted some of the the safety systems and so if they were to be tested with those with those bull bars on that would technically receive a lower score simply because those systems had to be turned off or, or modified in a way to, to allow the bull bar to, to work. Um, but we'll talk about it more next week uh, because it's certainly an interesting thing to, to go into a bit more details. But yeah, it is something that uh, the Mitsubishi Express van uh, received a score of zero and um, yeah, Mitsubishi come back and sort of given a few more details. So we'll talk about that next week. Uh, so moving into a bit of motorsport now. Uh, so Formula One, uh, Porsche, uh, it's almost like every year we have uh, rumors that Porsche could be entering Formula One. Now, we know that they did get extremely close um, a few years ago, just before they pulled out of the uh, the World Endurance Championship in the LMP1 class, because they uh, it's a fascinating story. It's, I'd, I'd go out, look up um, Porsche Formula One engine development story. It's uh, They came very close to, to entering Formula One when the whole uh, engine for the new or for I guess I could say for the for the delayed incoming changes to the Formula One regulations this was something which they could have um, been part of they or they were part of the early discussions of what those regulations should be particularly around engines and Formula One had been or Porsche had taken their their four-cylinder engine out of the uh, LMP1 vehicle and had looked and started to explore of how could that translate into a Formula One engine because there's a f- quite a few things that are similar, obviously quite different, but um, at, a, at a core base, very, very similar and could be adapted to a Formula One uh, format. But again, so the, these rumors are coming up again around um, Porsche's focus on synthetic fuels and um, Porsche could possibly be interested in joining Formula One according to this report on car advice. Um by 2025, if there is a, a greater focus on sustainable fuels around that. So um, particularly with this push coming from Volkswagen, it makes a lot of sense 
Um, and Fritz Engzinger from uh, he's the vice president of the brand's motorsport division at Volkswagen uh, told the BBC earlier this week it would be of great interest if aspects of sustainability for instance the implementation of e-fuels play a role in this should these aspects be confirmed we will evaluate them in detail with the VW group and discuss further steps now this obviously um, can be taken in a number of different ways, but it is um, quite rich. I don't know. It, it, it's a great sign, particularly when Volkswagen stood back from um, following the, the Dieselgate issues, um, basically pulled all of their brands back from high-level motorsport, except for obviously Porsche, but a lot of the other brands pulled back, particularly from uh, the World Endurance Championship. Uh, and yeah, it's it sort of felt like we've been missing this presence from from at least the majority of the Volkswagen Group. But it's yeah, it'd be great to have Porsche back in Formula One. It's been a very long time uh, since Formula, you know, it's since Porsche has been in Formula One um, as a factory outfit. So 1962 was the last time, and they won a single race at that point. So, yeah, it's it's something I remain very hopeful for, and uh, 2025 isn't that far along. So if there is any greater focus, it's uh, I'm sure Formula One management would be very interested in having Porsche join the uh, the championship if possible and uh, working out how they can have that work out. Supercars. So if you've always... Now, if you go... If, if you're watching Bathurst coverage and um, you see all the driveways that lead to the Conrod Strait, it is something where you go, well, who lives there and uh, why, you know, what does it take to buy one? Well, there is a, you know, there is a, an opportunity to buy and um, it's uh, 448 Conrod Strait has come back up for sale and um, yeah, it's a, it's it's been marketed as a 36 hectare property in 2019 with a price guide of offers over 5.7. It's the first time in 33 years the property had been offered and at that point it was pulled back and then now it's back on the market but it doesn't have a price guide. Um, the article, we've got that we've got it linked in car advice and um, obviously it's, it's a great place if you're a big fan of, uh, of Bathurst. It's certainly the place to be. It's, it's closer towards the top of the, the, the straight and on the outside of the track, not on the inside of the track. So, yeah, it's certainly uh, if you're interested in the market or just a very passionate Bathurst fan, there you go. There's your opportunity to, to jump on. Furthermore, Van Gisbergen, who after winning the first two races of the Supercars Championship, has been injured in a mountain biking accident. Um, he has been been ruled out of competing in the opening round of um, the Fanatec GT World Challenge next weekend at Phillip Island and um, he's had some so basically he injured himself at, in a mountain biking accident this morning um, when we we're recording here on Sunday and um, yeah he's uh, he's had some surgery and uh, yeah so working on his uh his collarbone and um, said that, yeah he'll be medically able to, to compete next weekend the decision has been made to wait until the send down super sprint in two weeks to return to the wheel to allow more time for a smooth recovery obviously it makes a lot of sense and um, it's a 
bit of an unfortunate thing. And uh, I guess this is probably why, um, particularly in Formula One, a lot of uh, a lot of drivers are contractually not allowed to to go mountain biking or, or do any sort of extreme sports. Kimi Räikkönen is probably the uh, only one who's <laughs> exempt from that, or just doesn't pay attention anyway to those uh, to those. Uh, clauses in the contract but um, it is unfortunate and um, we do hope he does have a speedy recovery and um, he's able to get back comfortably anyway in um, in the next Supercars event which is due to take place on the 20th and 21st of March at Sandown Raceway so we're going to jump on and, and Joel can uh, probably talk about it a little bit more next week. Um, but what is interesting is that a Victorian government announcing plans to partly privatise registration and licensing. So VicRoads could allow a private company to control licensing and, registra- and registration in an effort to update department's IT systems. Um, so this is, this is interesting. It's... Not a lot of people are really enthusiastic about the privatization. We know that it's notorious around um, privatization of um, speed camera enforcement and things like that. Um, but they're putting in place a joint venture partnership with the private sector to ensure that we get a modernized, adaptable service and um, for, for the management of the licensing and uh, registration. Um, they're saying, uh, Treasurer Tim Pallas, says that this is not a privatization, it's effectively a partnership that hopefully will work for the Victorian people and hopefully get the IT systems that they deserve. Now, um, we probably all know that you know anything to do with our uh, updating a license, getting car registered is usually a massive pain. I know that here it's uh, still not a fun experience up here in Queensland, and I can't imagine it's much better anywhere else around Australia. And um, having at least a, a better system on the back end will hopefully allow for a better customer experience from the front end. Um, it's uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of criticization um but yeah the proposal means that new drivers will potentially be able to sit their lens permits test online um which yeah that's <laughs> i don't know if it's worth the, the amount of cost they haven't explicitly said any numbers but um yeah we'll uh, we'll, we'll bring it up and see what joel has to think as a as a you know living down in victoria next week excitingly hyundai uh, has registered the first hydrogen vehicle. So this is part of that fleet um, of Nexo vehicles and um, not like anybody was treating it as a race, but um, the car advice article that we have here says Hyundai appears to have beaten Toyota in being the first to register a fleet of hydrogen cars in Australia. Um, this is part of that growing Experiment, particularly in the ACT, where um, they're co-developing a hydrogen refueling facility, and um, and allowing the government to to utilise them and basically gather information on, on how these could work and and um, sort of working out the infrastructure here that's needed. Um, both brands are supposed to have hydrogen cars on the road by now, um, but delays caused by the coronavirus pandemic last year have stalled their introduction. And essentially, we've seen quite a number of photos of those cars sitting in lots, uh, waiting particularly for the refueling station to, to become available because unfortunately, you can't just take it to a petrol station. You can't just plug it into the wall. You do need a hydrogen refueling station and um, that obviously takes time. Um, but this is obviously a, a very uh, exciting time. Um, 
we've spoken about hydrogen quite a lot and uh, it being an alternative fuel source to the traditional electric vehicle plugging into a charging station. Uh, hydrogen allows you to refill the vehicle in about three to five minutes, very similar to a, to a car, and um, it attaches in a similar way of how people utilize LPG. And um, you get about the same range because it utilizes electric motors. So it's essentially, rather than having a big battery, you're having a, a hydrogen storage tank. So that's um, that's the thing. And uh, both Hyundai and Toyota are both in, investing quite a lot of money behind... Um, uh, behind hydrogen as well as their electric vehicle programs. So that's exciting. And um, furthermore, as we mentioned earlier, Volvo have detailed their 300 kilowatt C40 recharge SUV coupe. Um, so this has got a 420 kilometer range. It actually looks quite good and um, it's set to be introduced in 2022 and it's an obvious next step in their full um, electric transition in 2030. Uh, so it is a, a, a fairly decent sized car so it's very similar to an XC40 uh, size um, but it's just a little bit a little bit shorter at um, 1.5 meters tall. Um, there is a bit of a cut because it is labeled as a coupe. It is, uh, if you're sitting in the back, you do cop a bit of a loss in your headroom, uh, just like your you know, X4 and X6 BMWs. Uh, but everything else in terms of from the photos that we've seen and the information that's been released, it very much is traditional Volvo um, with your infotainment system and, and everything like that. So it's not a, a drastic step forwards. It is that sort of slow turning up of the, the heat on the on the boiler and the frog in the pot of and I think this is probably the right way to go about it where you, you don't feel like you're driving a complete electric vehicle for the sake, you know, and they've designed it for the sake of it being different um, for those wanting to be a bit more style conscious and you just want a car that looks like a car. Well, this could be the one for you, particularly with that 420 kilometer range, which is certainly much better and, and certainly is gets into the realm of an acceptable range uh, for your day-to-day or week-to-week, should we say. Um, Moving into more ICE vehicles, so internal combustion, um, the 2021 Nissan Navara has been launched, and so there's a... And going along with that, there is a promotional drive-away pricing option. So... um, Pricing starts from 33,890 and 32,990 for the entry level 4x2 and um, stepping all the way up. So STX, because then there's a whole heap of options in between. Um, the 4x4 dual cab pickup in manual and auto is priced at 57,290 and 58,790 with a leather interior in the latter adding $1,000 while leather and a sunroof will add $2,000 to the asking price. Um, there is a Pro 4X as well, which jumps up to 61,290 and 62,790. As well as if you have an ABN, you can save a little bit more across a number of different variants. Um, but yeah, this pricing is certainly designed to to be a bit more aggressive compared to uh, the Toyota Hilux. And, um, but I think it's, it's a great looking car. We've got one booked in for, a, I think at about a month's time, the STX to, to drive, but I'm loving this new uh, Titan-esque uh, design. I think it looks quite nice and um, very interested to seeing what that updated, sort of slightly updated interior is going to be like. But um, I would love to see a bit more of a dramatic 
um, update to that interior, particularly with what we're seeing coming out of the new Qashqai and the new X-Trail, that, um, not the face of the one, but the one we'll be having come next year. Um, I think that would go a long way in attracting buyers as well, but we'll see how that goes. Okay, so... If you remember going back a few weeks, the uh, million dollar or the $1.1 million HSV GTSR W1 Malou and um, another also GTSR W1 sedan came up for sale on, for auction. And um, behold, they've actually come back onto the market. So the GTSR Malou is up for $1.1 5 million and um, there is also a GTS RW1 sedan um, with only 150 kilometers on it and um, has a, the limited edition watch and number plates for Victoria and it's priced at $499,000. Um, what will be interesting is that if uh, this will sell for that, I don't know. Um, we've spoken about it, we're a bit spectacular. You know, we're, we're speculative on whether that will. and um, But what could be interesting is that, yeah, so this Malou, which has gone up, is a, is a long-term, long-time employee's collection, has never left the premises. The only one in red color, a must for this serious Australian muscle and HSV collector. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we're not too sure if that's going to to sell at that price but obviously uh good luck and um it's been part of that whole craze of muscle cars increasing pricing and um yeah for i don't know it's justified but i don't know if it makes an awful lot of sense but you know we look at the last last year and a lot of things don't really make a lot of sense so we'll um we'll remain to see on where that goes now the nissan patrol warrior um one that we've been a little bit excited for um which has been built by the the nismo team has been pushed back to 2022 unfortunately um simply because there's limited supply and global um r&d sign-offs available at the moment a lot of car makers have been impacted by the chip shortage as well um the the timeline has slowed down a little bit for the patrol but um it's now said to be coming in 2022 now I think it's going to be uh it's a bit it's a bit disappointing that it hasn't it won't be uh coming this year but I don't know I'm I'm loving what these uh these renders in the motoring article that we've got listed um is looking like and also that the leaked Instagram video that's out there at the moment looks absolutely stunning it's going to hopefully they have a a bit of power apparently it's going to get a power boost um to what is already the crazy 298 kilowatt 5.6 liter petrol v8 and um yeah what's what's at least good to reaffirm that that project is probably still going ahead is at least here in australia patrol sales are up 44 and a half percent um in 2020 compared to 2019 and um yeah, it's certainly not on the same level as the Land Cruiser. Certainly healthy numbers for what had a very slow start when the Nissan Patrol was initially brought out. But um, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll wait to see what happens there. What this next one is interesting. So it's a uh, included in our recall section, but it's not entirely justified for it to be a, a recall here in Australia just at the moment because we don't know the impact. But in in America, the BMW M3 and M4 has been recalled for faulty um, ABS, where um, 
M3, M to M4 model. So we're talking about the new generation, the one that hasn't been released or has sort of had its media launch at the moment. And um, so those models affected left the factory with improper welding resulting in the loss of abs and braking assistance um, so they described it in the united states national highway traffic safety administration states the integrated brake system units may not have been produced to specific to specifications due to an unexpected deviation during the welding process of the system's rotor and shaft sub assembly um, yeah so if you're going under hard braking that could separate and um, obviously lead to a loss of or, or reduction in braking assistance or possible failure of the ABS. Fully mechanical braking without assistance is not affected. Additionally, the emergency function of brake force distribution is maintained to help control vehicle stability. Um, so that has been recorded. We're not too sure if that's going to be affected here in Australia, um, but we'll keep an eye for that. Um, hopefully it's something that could even, if, it, if they do need a recall, it can be done before any vehicles are delivered. Okay. Uh, we've sort of hit that, that halfway point. We normally jump into our bring a trailer at the moment, but we won't touch on that just because we don't have Joel there. But don't forget to jump onto bringatrailer.com to have a look at the uh, the many weird, wonderful, and exotic cars that come up for auction, particularly over in the US. It's a, an exciting place to to have a look and uh, just see some of the, the special cars that we don't quite get here in Oz. We love to jump on every week and uh, pick a vehicle out and, and see what it goes for. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes when we come back uh, next week. So stay tuned. But jumping into the, the final bit of uh, our international news. So we talked about a lot of uh, car makers have been affected by the chip shortage that is affecting a lot of manufacturing um, levels, not only just in the computer world, but also in the automotive world. The uh, number of chips used in a car is growing every year, and particularly with electric vehicles that, um, yeah, the, the, the possibility of being impacted by such a semiconductor shortage um, is increased. But, uh, but one company that seemingly hasn't been affected is Hyundai. So according to which car... Um, yeah, it's uh, basically said, or they say, according to Reuters, uh, the Hyundai Motor Group, including Kia, kept up its purchasing of semiconductor chips last year, while other manufacturers such as Volkswagen, General Motors, and Ford all slowed down. Uh, Hyundai even accelerated its purchasing, purchasing towards, excuse me, the end of 2020, seeing the writing on the wall that chips would become scarce in 2021. This allowed South, the South Korean motoring giant to build a stockpile of the chips to use in its vehicle production. Like other automakers, Hyundai also planned to cut production at the beginning of the year because of COVID-19, And um, but the procurement read the trend of the semiconductor industry, cutting chips auto chips production, said if we don't buy them as well, we'll be in trouble later on. So... That stockpile that Hyundai have built, we don't know how long that's going to last them and how long that semiconductor shortage will continue. So it's one of those things of, well, maybe um, they've been able to just delay it and um, and maybe not completely write it out or they might just uh, get lucky enough and uh, or unfortunate enough, but we'll just have to wait and see. But at the moment, it's full steam ahead for Hyundai and uh, unlike a lot of other car makers, they haven't need to shut anything down to to manage their chip shortage. 
Now, if you love what we talked about, the McLaren 670... Oh, sorry. 765LT. Now... I always get confused between the 675LT, which they did build, versus the 765LT. But this is definitely the latest and greatest 765LT from McLaren. And um, yeah, if if that wasn't powerful enough for you, well, don't worry. Hennessy has you covered. Um, they've got a 745 kilowatt version, so it boosts power by more than 30%, allowing the 0 to 100 sprint time to be completed in a claimed 2.1 seconds. Um yeah, so the US-based tuning house have they're basically calling this the HP 1000 package, and um, it includes uh, upgrades for the new air filters for the four-liter twin-turbo V8, and a remapped factory ECU, a stainless steel exhaust downpipe upgrade, high-flow exhaust componentry, and a chassis dyno calibration. Um, so yeah, so that boosted up from 563 kilowatts to 745 kilowatts. It would have been great if they could get it to the 765 just to match the name. That would be kind of cool. Um, but you know, 745, 765, still a big jump to add another 20 kilowatts. Um, but yeah, so this is great if you love your uh, quarter miles. Um, top speed isn't isn't really affected at the moment because it's just, uh, you know, it's already at an estimated of 330 kilometers per hour. So it's kind of bonkers if you're going to need any any more top speed anyway. Um, but unfortunately, that upgrade won't be available to Australia. But if you are wanting to do that package, it, it's priced at a surprisingly reasonable 33000 Australian dollars if you wanted to do that upgrade if you live in the US. And, you know, if you're spending half a million dollars on a car, $33,000 seems quite reasonable. Like, you just, you'd spend that on a set of wheels on a, on a car like this. So, $33,000 seems like a pretty cheap power upgrade, if you ask me. And, um, yeah, that's, it's, it's crazy. Um, okay, so to wrap it up, it's a bit of fun with um, Hot Wheels and... Um, and we're not talking about the little model cars this time. We're talking about a new video game uh, has been announced. So basically for all of us who have grown up from uh, Hot Wheels or Matchbox cars, it's time for a new Hot Wheels game. So it's made the... It's, it's created an arcade-style racing game set to go on sale later this year. There is a teaser trailer, so we've linked that in the show notes for you to check out. Doesn't show any gameplay at the moment, but um, it, the game is called Hot Wheels Unleashed and allows the players to drive the cars as if they were playing with the toys themselves. So that means all manner of loop-de-loops, jumps, figure eights, and custom layouts will feature made out of the famous orange tracks. Um, yeah, this looks pretty pretty cool. It's going to be um, it's been developed by the Italian game studio Milestone, um, which is previously built experience uh, sort of racing games such as MotoGP um, so they're not really new to, to racing games which is always a, a, a nice reassurance because um, yeah it's there's a, there's a few things to, to even in Hot Wheels form um, uh, a racing game is not the easiest thing to build you've got a whole heap of things with physics and um, yeah it's if you want that hot, authentic Hot Wheels experience it takes someone to, to really knows it Um if you if you don't want to wait, obviously in Forza Horizon uh, Four there is a Hot Wheels expansion pack that was previously um, just announced, and um, yeah, it would, 
we'll uh, be keen to sort of see how that goes Um, and we'll keep you on the loop as we know more about the release date but that's pretty much it Um, there's a few more items but I think we'll hold it on hold it over to next week so we can have a bit more of an in-depth discussion if there is anything that you'd like um, myself or the team to to drive uh, or and, and provide our thoughts on in a review you can always email us at shows at dailyautofix.com you can follow us at Daily Autofix and uh, don't forget to leave us a, re- a review and uh, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcasting app I'm Ash and uh, can't wait to see you next time and uh, until then stay safe drive safe and have fun see ya